everybody. Welcome into A Tribe Called Dad. This one is a tough episode, I think, for me to have wrapped my head around. My name is DJ Hoppe. Shout out to my co-host, DJ Spider, who is not with us today. But I do have a very important friend that is joining me on the phone. His name is David. David Bruce, who is a therapist in Culver City. He specializes in depression, anxiety, addictions, uh, works with individuals and couples. He's a licensed marriage and th- family therapist, uh, originally from Oklahoma. David, what's up, man? Welcome in. Hey, not much. Thanks so much for having me here, Abba. So great to be here. You, you know, I forgot the I forgot the biggest part uh, of your entire bio in my introduction, which is that you are a dad. And you've done it successfully. That's right. I, I'm qualified <laughs> to be on the show. <laughs> I'm in the tribe. You've got uh, two right. two amazing children, Michael, who's 23, Christina, who's 20. Uh, you've been married to your yeah. uh, wife, Cece, for the last 25 years. Congratulations, man. Yes, man. Thank you so much. I'm uh, quite a lucky guy, for sure. I imagine that in your line of work, I mean, it helps to have this solid foundation where you can come at this where it's like, hey, look, I, I deal with this. I've got kids. I've got not, not to say that a single person couldn't be a family therapist, but I think it definitely sure. adds a layer when you, you have this family on your own too. I'm sure. Your oh, absolutely. And I would say it, it works, it works both ways. I, I think definitely uh, having a family educates and brings them to the job uh, better kind of equipped and prepared, but I would say doing the work, <laughs> as right. a therapist has also brought back a lot home in terms of seeing where I'm off and see where I miss it sometimes. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good learning curve to always be on. Yeah, for sure, man. I think we're all constantly learning. I think we were talking about that even just before we, we went live here in terms of there not being a manual. There's like no handbook for dads who are out there. So for anybody, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. For anybody tuning in for the first time, you know, this is really about, us being able to share resources, to share our thoughts, our feelings, um, concerns, any of that stuff. And this episode uh, couldn't be more true. Uh, today, we are dealing with this this issue of, of loss um, and yeah. you know what has happened over the last week or so here, um, particularly in the sports world, but beyond that, this has transcended beyond that, and uh, we lost... Uh, sure. Kobe Bryant and his daughter, his uh, second oldest daughter, in a crazy helicopter crash. For anybody who's mm. been living under a rock, um, it wasn't it wasn't just the yeah. two of them. There were other victims as well. And I mean, just what a yeah. horrific loss! I feel I can feel the city of Los Angeles weeping every day, and mm-hmm. I just felt so compelled to want to try to put something out into the universe that could potentially help somebody out there, whether it is to deal with this particular loss or, you know, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that deal with loss on a regular basis, you know, and it's not as high profile, sure. not nearly as high profile as like a Kobe Bryant. But, you know, I wanted to have right. David on so that you could almost help us as a community try and process this a little bit. And um, I guess maybe yeah. the, a good starting point would be, this notion of loss. I want to share with you what my feelings were. And I have been almost surprised that I felt this way because if you asked me, you know, three weeks ago and said, Hey, here's a crazy scenario. Kobe Bryant, you know, Mm. dies in some sort of an accident. Uh, how does that affect you on a, on a daily basis? How Mm. does that affect you? And I would probably tell you it wouldn't, he's not my favorite NBA player. 
He's, you know, not somebody right. that okay. I'm not a Laker fan. I know I'm going to catch some flack for this right now, but I'm I'm going to keep it 100. Uh-oh. I'm going to keep it honest. I'm <laughs> not a Laker I, fan in L.A., I. you know, and, um, you know, I respect the guy. You know, I've never been a huge fan of his shoes, you know, or anything like that. I mean, I'm more of a fan <laughs> of like Michael Jordan's shoes than I am, you know, than right. LeBron's. And so for me, <laughs> the impact that it would have, I would tell you three weeks ago that it would probably not have much impact. And, you know, I got to be honest, when this happened, I was so shook up. I mean, I, mm. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't even deal with it. I was in the gym. I couldn't even finish the workout. I was so distracted for the entire rest of the weekend. Um, I yeah. was dizzy. I was having like physical, like symptoms. I was just really going through it. And I was so surprised that mm. I was feeling it in that way. Tell me a little yeah. bit about, yeah. you know, what your experience is when it comes to that. And is that something that happens with a lot of people or am I just, I'm just weird? No, you are not weird at all. In fact, uh, you sound hundred uh, percent human. Mm. And, um, I, I do, first of all, excellent job on just even being able to notice your response to the news. Mm. And, uh, you know, to your point, like you said, three weeks ago, you would have never guessed this kind of reaction. But I do think this is what loss or sudden grief uh, does for all of us. It catches us off guard. Mm. It is generally always a surprise. <laughs> we don't wake up today and go, huh, I wonder what I'm going to lose today. Right. Uh, so kind of our drive in life is not about losing things. It's about, you know, what am I going to gain today? My experiences or what am I going to learn or what am I going to, what am I looking forward to? So because we don't often think in terms of loss when it happens, I think it shakes our system a little bit. Um, and most of what you described, Hapa, I would say most men, most people would say a lot of that that you described is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one likes their world to be shooken or to be uh, unsettled. And I do think that's part of the problem with grief and with loss is because if it's uncomfortable, often our conclusion is this is not good. Right. <laughs> this is not right. And I shouldn't feel any of this and I should feel something different or I should feel better mm-hmm. or I need to do something to feel better. And then unfortunately I think we lose uh, the benefits of loss mm. and the benefits of grief. Tell me, tell me more about the benefits of loss or the benefits of grief. Well, uh, let, let me share a little bit about my, my response. So I found out on Sunday afternoon, I just, uh, I was up in Seattle, uh, visiting a friend of mine, uh, was going to church with him. And right when service was over, you know, literally, you know, dozens of phones were getting this news uh, mm. of what, uh, what had happened to Kobe and his daughter. So very similarly, I think uh, definitely surprised, uh, was shocked to it. Like, really? What? What? And there's like that drive to want to, you know, every hour I kept talking to somebody, like, what's the latest thing you read? What's mm-hmm. the latest thing you're hearing on the news? So the, there's that search. <laughs> you want more information. You want more clarity. Right. However, right. coming back home and actually being with my family and even spending time specifically with my daughter, you know, I could tell, like, okay, I wasn't a big Kobe fan either. And mm-hmm. it, so I'm kind of in the same boat you're in. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah. hear me out, please. Yeah. Please hear me out. But the point was, 
you know, it did affect me as well. And, mm-hmm. and I did feel kind of this underlying sadness. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when I heard more of the details that Kobe was, you know, I think he went to church service that morning with his daughter. He took communion with his daughter. Mm-hmm. He's taking his daughter to her basketball game. I mean, I'm just hearing all these, you know, these dad, you know, deposits. Like, right. man, way to go as a right. dad. Right. So to, to hear that he was doing those things uh, and feeling the sadness of, you know, that loss, I'm sitting here really uh, valuing, paying much more attention to mm. how I'm spending time with my daughter. Mm. And, you know, just sitting down, you know, having a meal with my daughter, recognizing that, okay, my daughter right now is telling me about her day. Man, what a blessing it is that I'm sitting here and I can actually listen to my daughter tell me about her day. So, again, sadness is uncomfortable. (laughs) And one of my, um, one of the mottos that I use a lot in, in in my work is that emotions are a horrible master, but a great servant. Mm. And I think what that means is we, we definitely got to avoid extremes. You know, me wailing and crying, you know, uncontrollably for days and days and days is not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, me going the opposite extreme of trying not to feel sad at all. And let me just distract myself with you know, much other news or let me get mm-hmm. into politics for a while or mm-hmm. do something to numb it. That also does not help. But I think, emotions, especially sadness in a very healthy range, uh, it serves. Mm-hmm. It, it does help you take healthy perspective on things. It helps you, I think, value things in a different way, in a better way. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so interesting, especially the suppression. So the suppression is mm-hmm. actually something that's really interesting. And, you know, I know that this is a tribe called Dad. We have quite a few dads that listen into the show. We have quite a few, like the audience is predominantly male, but we also have a ton of female listeners that are out there as well. But mm. I feel like, you know, sort of stereotypically as men, I don't know about you, but I was raised to just suck it up, deal with it. Like, yep. you know, let's not talk about it. Let's move on. You know, that happened. That sucked. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. And yeah. I mean, can you give me some insight into how we can go from that and what's kind of maybe the half step from going from that to then just like, here's all of the things that I'm feeling. Because what I really would like to do is to be able to provide listeners out there some tools that they can utilize, whether it be for this particular situation or for, you know, other situations sure. in their life. Yeah. Well, first of all, e- even what you and I are doing right now is, is part of the solution. In mm. other words... Just talking about, uh, you know, having a conversation about how we feel or how we have felt about things and letting that be sort of as normal as it can be. Like you and I literally just exchanged, you know, stories involving emotion, how we felt about something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just that process in and itself, it normalizes these things and it keeps emotions in a very, it keeps emotions in that servant position. Mm -hmm. Now, why I think most of us oppress this stuff and don't want to go there is because, uh, one, most of us, and I don't mean to judge too many people, but I would say a lot of us, we didn't necessarily come from family situations where we casually or comfortably discussed how we felt. Yep. 
Um, And because oftentimes some of our role models, whether it's our parents, teachers, coaches, whatever, when people, we saw other people and we saw how their emotions mastered them, Mm. you know, like the angry, the angry parent or the, uh, you know, the sad, depressed teacher, whatever extremes that we experience, I guarantee you not a single one of them comfortable. Mm. (laughs) You know, when I'm, when I'm in the proximity of my angry, you know, uh, grandma or whatever, I did not like that. Right. <laughs> and my, my brain took some really good notes and said, okay, look, that's what anger looks like. It's out of control. It's extremely uncomfortable and I don't like to be near it. Right. Well, what I just learned about emotions, I just learned a very distorted negative lesson about a very vital part of me. Mm. And if I'm going to try to spend the rest of my life not being angry right. or trying everything I can to never be angry, I'm basically cutting off an essential part of myself. Interesting. Now, what I needed, what I needed was a good conversation maybe with a different family member that said, you know what, <laughs> Grandma, she's a little extreme at times. And the way that she's using her anger is actually not really healthy and not very helpful. In fact, David, what was it like for you to be around grandma when she was that angry? Mm. <laughs> well, you know what? I felt kind of sick to my stomach or I felt like something's going to happen to me or I was going to get hurt. Right. Okay. Well, this is exactly why that way of handling anger is not good. Mm. So let me tell you about something that happened this week. I was mad the other day at a coworker and this is what I did when I was angry. Mm-hmm. I took some deep breaths. I thought, okay, uh, I don't like what my coworker did but I know I need to talk about it, but I also want to be respectful. So I'm going to manage this really carefully. If I'd had a family member or a friend walk me through a scenario like that, (laughs) I would have been learning, Mm -hmm. oh, my emotions are actually helpful and I can actually manage them as opposed to feeling taken over by them or being taken over by somebody else's emotions. Right. And then going to all these extremes. Right. Like regaining the control over that emotion. Yeah. 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 Or, or just, well, first of all, treating emotions with, this is a big one, treating emotions with curiosity rather than suspicion. Hmm. Say it one more time. If you treat it, treating our emotions with curiosity rather than suspicion. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, by the way, those two functions are two neurologically different components. Or processes. When I am suspicious, my brain actually releases cortisol, a stress hormone, because I'm not really happy about what I'm trying to find out. Mm. In other words, I'm a little hesitant. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, what's he going to do? Or right. what am I going to do? Right. I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling mad. But I, when I approach something with curiosity, it releases a completely different neurochemical called dopamine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is basically, okay, what am I about to discover? Hmm. What am I about to figure out or learn? And, and trust me, dopamine is a lot better for your brain than cortisol, except when we're using drugs, which that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other episode. <laughs> In terms of being <laughs> dopamine right. addicted. But, yeah. but my point is, uh, and again, this is like, I think why we make so many mistakes sometimes with grief and with loss is because it's so uncomfortable. It's hard to treat something uncomfortable with curiosity, mm. but I'm telling you, it's it's the it's the magic formula. Mm. And uh, ironically, I 
think emotions, they are designed to move us. Like the root word of emotion is motare, which is Latin for to move. So Mm. when we are connected to our emotions, it actually moves us, I think, to good resources. It actually moves us toward one another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said earlier in the podcast that, you know, fatherhood doesn't have a manual, but it's interesting. I think the manual is, is the tribe. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if I could say connected to other men, other guys trying to figure this thing out together, I think that's actually how we do it better. Right. Right. Yeah. And learn from one another and share, share the, these things with one another. I think that absolutely. Yeah. It's so interesting. The curiosity versus suspicion. I'm now, you have me even thinking of, you know, when, when going into something new, I mean, this isn't even necessarily a a grief Mm. thing or, or anything like that, but just going into a new situation and approaching it from a stance of curiosity versus suspicion. And you're looking at the good in things versus the the bad in things, right? Like, cause on the suspicion side, you're trying to figure yeah. out like, when's the other shoe going to drop here? Like what, when is this going to really exactly. reveal itself? And, and that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to think of like different scenarios in my own life in which that's happened. And there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, very interesting. Yeah. And, me, and you know, go ahead. And if, and if you think about it relationally, if you think about it relationally, you know, I don't really like to hang around people that are suspicious of me. True. But I love hanging out with people that are curious about me. Mm. So even when you think about it relationally, it's, it makes so much more sense. But especially as dads, if we can be, you know, sort of these men that value curiosity, especially as toward our kids, Mm. you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, even the inter the idea of how, how do I stay curious about, you know, what I am going through right now, what my, kid is going through with this loss of Kobe. Like, gosh, I wonder what kinds of questions are coming up or, you know, how's this going for you? I mean, curiosity, I think, can actually open up really uh, better conversations, Mm. whereas the suspicion, I want the conversation to not even start. Mm. You know, like, please don't ask. Don't even ask. You have to tell you're suspicious. Right. Yeah, that was actually... Curiosity, it builds connection. That's actually what I was going to ask you about was, you know, how how would you advise mothers and fathers and parents that are out there to address something like this with, with children? Is there such thing as uh, too young to talk about something like this with, with a child? Um, You know, just what are the proper, not proper, but what are, what are some tools that somebody can use to be able to approach situations like these with children? Um, I like your, your, First of all, at the beginning, is there is there an age that's too young? Um, you know, again, if, if the child can comprehend that there's been a loss, or they understand that someone died, mm-hmm. uh, I think children tend to be more curious than adults. In fact, yeah. I would say for a lot of us, childhood kind of it, it taught curiosity out of us. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> as you get older, for sure. Problem. Yeah, for sure. I think you become <laughs> exactly. less curious. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's why, as an as an adult, <laughs> I think as an adult, this is why we actually we have to put really good effort to protect our curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, children would hold on to their curiosity. It's it's parents and adults oftentimes that kind of discourage and and give them some bad experiences with curiosity, so they stop doing it. But I would say if a kid is young enough to understand that somebody died and they're asking questions about it, 
I think their curiosity will probably raise up the conversation to the topic. Mm. Uh, and if they do, then they are ready. But mm-hmm. let's have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your kids are a little bit older, let's, I'd probably say like later grade school, middle school, you know, kids that you can actually have, you know, conversations with. Um, I would say it would be better for the dad or the parent to initiate the topic. So, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you, you probably heard on the news. Um, and also parents, dads, always lead with answering your own question. Hmm. So in other words, hey, I was curious, you know, you, you heard about Kobe and his daughter. You know, I was, well, first of all, for me, definitely I felt a little sad. Uh, I didn't expect to be sad, but I hmm. was. Hmm. And, you know, I just felt really bad. I had, had some thoughts about the mom and, you know, what she might be going through right now, Kobe's wife. Right. How, you know, how about you? What Did anything come up for you? Right. You know, learning about this or hearing about it. Yeah. But don't ever, don't keep your cards close to the chest. You've got to keep your chest wide open. Mm. But always as the adult in the dynamic, you've got to lead with that vulnerability. Right. You have to make it safe to to be vulnerable in that Exactly. You've got to set the example. And you're modeling that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, that that makes total sense um, in regards to that, for sure. I think... So talk to me a little bit about the what happens, typically what happens here when there is that loss. You mentioned, you know, thinking about Kobe's wife, Vanessa, and like the other kids. And, you know, when there is a loss like that in a family and now there are, you know, three daughters who are there and, you know, they're at varying ages. Some mm-hmm. of them are, you know, they've got a newborn child who, you know, obviously won't really remember any experiences with uh with Gigi who was lost in this accident so how do you right how how does a family because I think that a lot of us have that on our mind as well you know um obviously their family is in uh, they're in our prayers and you know I think about that a lot in terms Mm -hmm. of how a family moves on and continues on at that point talk to me I guess a little bit about how that process goes uh, you're asking about the process for Kobe's family yeah, or for, how we respond to what Kobe's family is going through. I guess both. I mean, first, I mean, his family and how they would respond to that or, or not even necessarily his family, but a family that has gone through something like this. What what typically yeah. happens and or what should happen in order for this to be a healthy mm. situation? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, first off, you know, and I, 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 this probably goes without saying, um, there's tons of shock, tons of shock. Cause like we said earlier, mm-hmm. you tip, we typically don't anticipate loss. We don't anticipate these things happening. So I would say initially there's a lot of shock. Um, and then after the shock, uh, there can be some numbness, mm-hmm. which is sometimes the body itself trying to, like brace itself for a lot of feelings because the family is, if they haven't already, they are going to experience a lot of pain of sadness mm-hmm. and the separation and just the reality sinking in. Um, I would say probably what they have, well, what I always try to tell people is that grief, grief is not, um, it's not a permanent state, mm-hmm. but it is a process. Mm-hmm. It is a process. And I think when we don't understand that, we don't 
distinguish that, that's when we start making a lot of mistakes. Is that if I fear I'm going to feel this for the rest of my life, I'm going to make some really irrational decisions right. to try to interrupt it, distract myself from it, avoid uh, it, cut it off, right. you know, don't deal, or avoid right. it. Right. And right. That's, that's usually uh, not a healthy thing. But I think for them, uh, and I, I'm certain, I hope this is really the case, uh, they have permission from a lot of supportive friends and family around them that are going to allow them to feel as sad or as mad mm. uh, or as scared as they may be feeling. And then most likely there's a series of different emotions that people go through based on how they are processing the loss. Mm. Um, but the point is for, for the environment around them to stay curious Mm-hmm. and not too controlling. Like, okay, you know what? You've been sad for a week now. I think we need to move on. Right. You never want to do that. Right. you got to just allow the process to happen, and that's the point. It is a process. It will get you from point A to point B, and the stage uh, where grief kind of wraps up is when we get to a place called acceptance. Mm. And, um, you know, there's, again, you said there's no manual for fatherhood. There's not really a manual for this either, uh, it may vary in terms of how much time it takes to get to a place of acceptance. Mm-hmm. But the point is, grief is always trying to move you toward acceptance. Hmm. So would you say that for somebody who maybe had experienced loss years ago, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. 30 years ago, is it possible that somebody is still not in a state of acceptance? Does that happen from time to time? Like if somebody had suppressed this, let's say, or if somebody had avoided the process and allowing themselves to go through that process, is that still a possibility that they are still in that in-between space? I would say so. And I would say, again, this is where culturally we've learned so many wrong lessons about grief. Mm. I think that's probably why people have lingering griefs for years and years and years is that they've, they've either used some of these remedies uh, that our culture teaches us, which is, you know, move on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're feeling too much, you know, get over it, right. uh, you know, get, just get married again or, you know, right. get a new kid. I mean, right. all these things are just horrible solutions trying to interrupt. And in this case, I say, I would say stagnate a process that needs to happen. Mm. In fact, uh, what probably the best direction I've ever heard from a colleague of mine uh, who, who was raised in a Jewish family, and you know, Jewish tradition has you know this remarkable uh, centuries-old tradition called sitting shiva, mm-hmm. and it's basically the kind of the opposite of what America does. You know, what does America do when someone dies? We have one funeral, mm-hmm. what one one gathering, and we're done. Right. That's it. Right. You went to you went to the funeral, right? Yeah, I went to the funeral. Yeah, I went to the funeral. And we we think that a process like grief is going to get wrapped up and done in one appointment or one gathering of people. Mm-hmm. Where sitting Shiva is basically the one year process where I think it's the first thirty days of family members that lost an immediate family member uh, for thirty days they just stay in one place mm-hmm. and they grieve. And friends and family come by all throughout those 30 days just to be with them and to be near them, but no one's there to fix anything. Mm. It's literally you are just honoring that person by being in the presence of them in their grief. 
Mm. And then after the 30 days, I think it shifts to a weekly time where I think they get together on Friday evenings for, I don't know exactly the dates, might be six months to a year, but they get together and, and specifically it's to come together every Friday and to continue talking about their lost one. Mm. So, and again, so think about that. As you're doing that week by week by week by week, you're basically moving toward that state of acceptance. Right. Like, I'm not going to, I've, I've lost the person, but I'm also not going to lose them mm. because that lost person is still going to be a part of them for the rest of their lives. And that's what I mean by acceptance. Some people can think acceptance sounds a little callous. It's not about callousness. It's actually about how do I integrate that lost person to now become a part of me for the rest of my life. Mm. Mm. And that's 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 actually a beautiful thing, and I think that is that's what I meant earlier by that is one of the benefits of grief and loss is that when you honor that process and don't interrupt it, it actually gets you to this place of peace mm-hmm. with this person that will still be with you for the rest of your life. Mm. Beautifully put, man, and I think that that's a great example of um, you know how somebody could take some of these tools and start to work this out because it isn't just about this one point in time and then you're just saying all right now we we did that we honored him that was that and now we move on and and typically you're right i mean culturally that's what we're going to do i mean i hate to say this but unfortunately there will probably be some other catastrophic loss that happens in the next several months right like there'll be something else that happens Right. And now this will be sort of old news and we'll now have moved on. Mm. You know, I mean, how long does this stay in the in the headlines? Right. Like after a while, then like this is just going to dissipate. And it's really that's really interesting because obviously it's for those that are trying to process this loss, whether whether it's, you know, the loss of Kobe or some of these other victims that were in this or, or just other things, other losses that people have had, um, you know, in their own lives. I think what the advice that you've offered is great advice to people. I think this is a great way to, to approach this. And, uh, man, I thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I, I agree. I think this is, uh, just so important that we're, we're bringing this up and talking and, and kind of processing it rather than uh, falling into some of the uh, shortcuts <laughs> like you just right. described right. that society can do sometimes. So this is beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. I've got to have you back on. We're, we've got an entire series oh, that we're about it. to do for uh, the teenage years, which I feel like you'd have so much insight. I mean, I mean, you could be you could be on every one of these shows I've with got, all of your <laughs> insight. Well, but, I've got yeah. I've got my own scars and wounds from that. So yeah. Yeah, man, you know, it's just a thing of, I'm just trying to put this stuff out there for, for dads to be able to process, for people to be able to process and be able to say, Hey, um, wow. I never even thought of this. That wasn't even something that was on my radar, you know? Um, you're, uh, you are a practicing therapist in Culver city, uh, for anybody that wants more information on you, David, how can they, get in touch? Is there a website? Is there anything that they can go to if they wanted to potentially see you or seek out uh, your services? 
Yeah, they could. Uh, I've got you know, my email is probably the best way to make contact with me. If they have any one of follow up questions or something like that. Uh, it's counseling mm-hmm. at davidabruce.com. Amazing. Counseling at davidabruce.com. We'll also put a link to that in the episode description as well if you wanted to follow up with David. Okay. Um, man, I appreciate Perfect. it so much. Uh, everybody, don't go anywhere. We've got a top three, a very, very, very special top three coming up right after this word from our sponsor. A tribe called Dad. This is the top three. It's the top three. It's the top three. This is the top three. All right, here we go. We are doing a top three today in honor of Kobe Bryant. Uh, the This here is, it was hard. It was hard to whittle this down to three, but I found three stories, three audio stories that I wanted to share with you. Some They're, they're pretty short clips, um, but they involve either a quote from Kobe, a story from a particular situation, just something that I felt would be Great to share on this podcast to honor Kobe Bryant, who has now passed. And um, yeah, um, I encourage everybody. I mean, this is three. And like I said, I mean, it was hard to whittle this down. There are just so many great moments on and off the court from Kobe Bryant's career, from his life. I encourage all of you. I hope this is something that maybe sparks some interest. Many of you have already been watching a ton of this video content or checking a lot of this out and sharing it. Um, I just want to encourage you to continue to do that. This is a part of what keeps his legacy alive. And um, yeah, I'm just so honored to be able to share this. I want to shout out David again for being on the show. Um, I can't thank him enough for adding his insight into this incredibly difficult situation for a lot of us. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's just jump right in to our top three. Number one. The kids are running. They've been running for two hours. Running, running, running. This one kid misses the line by like half inch. No, it wasn't even half inch. It was like about that much. <laughs> yeah, like, he misses the line. Me. Kobe's like, stop, 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 stop. We had to stop. We had to stop everything. And he's like, nobody gets shoes. And all these kids are like, oh, they're mad at the kid. Yeah. They're like, touch the line. All you gotta do is touch the line. That's it. It was this much. Touch the line. And and you know Kobe's like no, nobody nobody gets shoes. You guys sit on the sideline. And then Kobe made this kid run suicides, which is another drill: baseline, free throw line, baseline, half court, baseline, opposite free throw line, baseline, baseline, and back. Three in a row. Three times. <laughs> you had to run three of them. Yeah. But, but the, the best message. part was, oh. the best part was, uh, the last one Kobe ran with this kid. He ran with this kid. Okay. Yeah. It's awesome. We ran with this kid, and there's a mil- 1.1 million people are watching online. Crazy. He ran with this kid. This kid was dry heaving. He was about to die. Yeah. But you you're know, lucky he didn't die. No, he's, he wasn't going to die. He wasn't going to die. <laughs> but but the, the important thing to understand is you can't, you can't shortchange yourself. Like, you're, not, you're not cheating anybody but yourself. Right? I mean, you're tired. You're literally this far away from the line. Why would you not go that extra to touch the line, right? So if I let him get away with that, right, all of a sudden he starts maybe achieve something over here, right? Not give his best over here, not give his best over here, 
And as years go on, he's going to be extremely, he's not going to reach his full potential because he's been taking these little shortcuts that just add up, add up, add up, add up, add up. And you can't let that happen. Our, our job as teachers, as mentors, as inspirers, it's our responsibility to hold them accountable to those things. Oh, I think that's such a good story. Um, that, I think, just shows so much about um, what Kobe's character is, that Mamba mentality, and really influencing the next generation. Uh, here we go, number two. Number two. I come back to America in the summertime, I'm playing in the summer league, and I don't score a point the whole summer. I don't not score one point the entire one, summer? Not one point. Not a free throw, not a layup, not a steal, nothing. Zero points the whole summer. And I scored not a free throw, not a nothing, not a lucky shot, not a breakaway layup, zero points. And I remember crying about it and being upset about it. And my father just gave me a hug and said, listen, whether you score zero or score 60, I'm going to love you no matter what. And my father came up to me afterwards and gave me a hug and said, son, don't worry about it. We're going to love you if you score zero or 50. Yeah. You know? And uh, I just remember thinking, thank you. Wow. Now that is the most important thing that you can say to a child. Because from wow. there, I was like, okay, that gives me all the confidence in the world to fail. I have the security there. But to hell with that, I'm scoring 60. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> right, right. Right, and from there, I just went to work. And I just wow. I stayed with it. And I kept practicing, kept practicing, kept practicing. Dang. Please take this advice to heart for all of the parents that are listening to this. Love your kids no matter what. Continue to send them that message that you will love them no matter what. It's not about their accomplishments. It's not about their achievements. Just that you will love them unconditionally no matter what. Here we go, number three. Number three. And the, the whole idea is that, you know, when I started playing the game, everything was about trying to be the best. Win this many, you know, win as many championships as you can, yada, 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 yada. You get older, you start to understand that really it's about the next generation, that these championships do come and go, right? And uh, there'll be other people that win championships. But the most important thing you can do is to pay everything that you've learned forward to the, to the next generation to come. And that's truly how you create something that lasts forever. Mm. Uh, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show uh, each and every week, tuning in to A Tribe Called Dab. We appreciate you and we appreciate your support. Uh, this particular episode was so important to us to be able to get out there. Um, I hope that it is helping you. I hope that talking through this and talking through loss is helping anybody who's out there that's dealing with it. I want to encourage you to follow the link below inside of the description of the podcast. If you need help, if you know anybody who needs help, um, man, please reach out to David. He is such a great resource and is somebody who is obviously willing and able to help anybody who is out there. Uh, man, it's hard. This is uh, with a heavy heart that we sign off here. Um, I, though, feel as if we have gotten a chance to sit with one another and and pay our respects to Kobe and pay our respects and our honor to this grief and allow this process, as David mentioned, to to happen and to get to this point of um, of acceptance and getting beyond the, these emotions now and allowing ourselves to get to the other side of that. So I uh, thank you again for joining me. I want to remind you that uh, you can follow at A Tribe Called Dad on all the social platforms. You can rate and review the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. Um, on behalf of all of the dads out there, I like to leave the show always like this. 
Dads are better than moms. Dads are better than moms. Dads are better than moms. Sorry.